Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Path Eyes Health podcast. My name is Alex Baram, your host, and I am joined today by Rachel Horton, a patient, a patient advocate, and a health wellness coach who has been dealing with MECFS for over 15 years. Thanks for coming on the show, Rachel. Hi, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate you taking the time, and I want to be sensitive of your time, so we'll just jump right into it. Why don't you give us a little bit of a background on what your journey with MECFS has looked like from the start? Absolutely. So 15 years ago, I am preparing to be a senior in high school. I am a classic overachiever freak, and I am running cross-country. I'm president of my class. I'm ready to do all my college applications. And the most important thing in my life at this point is what is my college application essay topic going to be on? And you can probably relate to this as similarly minded in your studies. And that was all I was focused on. And then all of a sudden, I got sick. I was backpacking in Colorado. We were supposed to summit. And all of a sudden that day, I felt this overwhelming fatigue. And I just assumed it was altitude sickness because I was in such good shape. And I had gone through all this hiking and climbing up until this point, and I had been fine, but I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't move my body. It was like sandbags had covered my limbs and the prospect of packing up my tent was just so insurmountable. I couldn't get my mind around it. I don't even remember how I finished the trip. It's just all such a blur, but I got back to Indiana where I was living at the time and just watched my health continue to spiral downward. I went from not being able to recover from my cross-country workouts to just not even being able to complete them in the first place. I started missing school. And by December in 2008, I got diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome, which to me was like the most underwhelming diagnosis <laughs> for what I was experiencing because the name sounds so benign. I would tell people that I had been diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome and they'd look at me and like, well, you know, I'm pretty tired too. Maybe I have that. Or like, you know, yeah, I, I have to take naps sometimes, but I find a way to push through. And I just... I was so bewildered by the whole process. It was isolating. It was unknown. It was complicated. And over the past 15 years, my life's work has really been not only moderating and managing my own symptoms and my experience, but really learning how to make sense of the challenges and the trauma that are associated with a complex chronic illness that doesn't have a lot of research or social support. Absolutely. I, I feel the uh, the misnomer of chronic fatigue syndrome very <laughs> closely to my heart. It's, I think a lot of damage was done by naming it specifically that because it, I do not think it comes anywhere near to fully encapsulating the, uh, the extent of what people with it go through. So uh, we've seen a bit of a trend of it transitioning towards myalgic encephalomyelitis, which while it is a uh, a mouthful, I think is yeah. <laughs> potentially a better name. Um, but yeah, it, it sounds like it was very much a process of trial and error for you, especially as you were going through high school and going through college. How did you manage taking a, a self-described type A personality overachiever and managing that with your CFS? Well, for the first year or two, I mean, I, I simply didn't. And I, I did not do a good job of that because my time frame was, okay, well, maybe I'll be sick for a couple of months. Maybe I'll sick for, be sick for a year. It was, it was similar to how we responded as a society to the beginning of the pandemic. We were thinking like, maybe this will last a month. Maybe this will last until the end of the summer. Nobody was thinking in terms of this broader time horizon. And so for me, I kept pushing and then crashing because I was just trying to get to the next thing, trying to get to the 
final exam, trying to get to the end of the semester, trying to get through applications, I wasn't thinking in terms of what's a sustainable pace that I can maintain over the course of my lifetime if nothing else changes. All I could think about was I have to recover. I have to get back to 100% because otherwise, how am I going to live a meaningful life? How am I going to accomplish all these things that I've set my heart and my mind on? And so getting to a point where I could reconcile the fact that I might not recover, I might not get to 100%. And at the same time, there are all these things that I can still do to contribute to this cause, to connect with other patients, to advocate for this disease, and that some of that will actually bring meaning to the suffering that I had experienced. So what happened for me, especially academically, was transitioning from I need to be the top student and I need to do as well as I possibly can in every possible activity that I've signed up for to I need to do enough that I can get by and that I can still manage my symptoms and that I can maintain some medium level of quality of life while still providing myself the challenge that I knew brought me a lot of joy and, and meaning from an intellectual standpoint. Absolutely. That, that is a, uh, it's a delicate balance to strike and one that I struggled with personally going through college. I remember I was at a university that was on the quarter system and just about every 11 weeks I could tell that like during my breaks I was going to have a crash because it was just pushing myself way too hard during those 11 weeks and I, I think you brought up a really good point about transitioning that mindset from almost like on and off to having something mm -hmm. that can be a little more consistent and modulated over time within the process of that how what tools did you use to figure out how to modulate your energy and when did you, how did you know when you were going to push yourself? How did you know when you needed to take a step back? That part was really hard because when I first got diagnosed, the sort of gadget wearable device stuff wasn't really in the zeitgeist like it is now. And so the thought of like tracking my heart rate was this really cumbersome process where it'd be like, you know, connecting a device to a watch that would then maybe like print out something later, it felt very antiquated and difficult. So I never really had a good amount of data. I did work with some doctors in the early years who advised me to use something like a pedometer or just self-reported measures of well-being. And again, I found a lot of these things really irritating and cumbersome because I wanted something that was immediate. I wanted something that was going to require very little effort on my part. So what I ended up doing was activity tracking with one of my therapists, and it was both prescriptive and descriptive. So I would have an idea of what I wanted my week to look like, and I would sort of plot it out. And once I put all that stuff out on paper, I couldn't just, I could no longer avoid the realities of my condition. When I saw everything in, in paper, in writing, in front of me. It made it very clear, okay, if I'm going to be going to class at this time, if I'm going to be studying at this time, then I need to make sure that I have scheduled rest in between all this stuff. And if I can preemptively rest and pace myself ahead of time, I'm not going to be as prone to crashing because I'm going to have a much better awareness over where my energy is going over the course of the week. And then on the back end of that, I could look back after an entire week and be like, wow, I'm really tired, but I also know I did all these different things. And that explains why I feel the way I do. I think that's a great idea and one that I wish that I did. I think at least I know my inclination and it, it sounds like a lot of other people's inclination is to kind of take it one day at a time and look at it in a micro view rather than a macro view. Um, and yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, I think being able to take something over the course of a week and really just plot out 
and budget your energy, for lack of a better word, I think is uh, something that hopefully a lot of people will find helpful here. Um, over the years, like we've been dealing with this for over 15 years at this point, what have been the biggest things that have helped in managing MECFS, whether that's lifestyle interventions, pharmacologicals, or what have you? Mm -hmm. So on the like just low hanging fruit medical side of thing, the first is quality sleep. Like if you are not sleeping, you're going to be, at least in my case, incredibly grumpy and just feeling terrible all the time. And it took a while for me to figure out my sleep. I now have a decent cocktail of mostly over the counter products and some emergency trazodone stash when things just aren't working at all. But having low dose melatonin and some herbal sleep support as well as magnesium and L-theanine is really helpful for me for getting quality sleep, but also for calming my mind. Because I think most patients find that they're at the end of the day feeling wired but tired. Their body is physically exhausted and fatigued, but their brain just won't shut down. Maybe that's just a product of us being, you know, highly intellectual, just incredibly intelligent people who just can't shut our brains off. But we're we're prone to whether it's anxiety or rumination or just worrying about what the next day is going to hold in terms of energy expenditure versus capabilities. And so having something that really allows that relaxation is helpful. For a lot of people, though, the insomnia persists. And in my case, getting adequate thyroid medications was really key to improving my health in terms of my sleep at night, but also my brain power, my brain fog, and my energy and stamina during the day. So switching from pure T3 thyroid hormone to a combination of T4 and T3, a lot of patients are only on T4 or only on Synthroid, but a lot of people do better on combined therapy. And so it's worth a discussion with your doctor as far as what are your thyroid labs showing, but more important, what are your symptoms? And can adding thyroid medicine improve your quality of life? Because in that case, it is worth a shot. I think those are the two like primary low-hanging fruit for me. On more of the like mental, emotional, social side, one of the things I realized was that these it's very easy to have this like very strict, structured, narrow idea of what health looks like and that it all comes down to this like ironclad, very disciplined approach. And what I found was giving myself a little bit more freedom and flexibility and knowing that in my case, having a more moderate case of CFS, it was okay to have some post-exertional malaise after hanging out with friends because the bonds and the socializing was worth it. And that in and of itself is beneficial to my health. It's not a distraction to spend time with other people and to maintain social relationships. That's actually just as important as whatever dietary principles I'm following or supplement regimen I have. And I think a lot of the times the community aspect of health just broadly gets ignored when really that's one of the most foundational elements. And it's also one of the most challenging things for patients with a chronic illness. I think that's a, that's a great piece of advice and we're definitely making wired, but tired a, uh, a t-shirt for you, but yeah. the, <laughs> I, I think you bring up a good point about community and especially recently, I would say probably in the last two to three years, we've seen a resurgence or uh, surgence of, uh, more involved either local or online communities that are dealing with this kind of support, what have you found to be helpful and what have you found to be um, maybe hurtful in finding the right community for you? I think social media in general is going to be a double-edged sword. And so if you are somebody like me who's historically taken, put a lot of stock in her professional or academic achievements, and something like LinkedIn can be kind of difficult because you're seeing people constantly talking about 
the new job opportunities they're taking, the new graduate degrees and other certifications that they've taken on. And it can be really intimidating to be sitting at home and feeling like you're not living up to your your professional capacity while other people are just crushing it in the job market. So being really aware about what types of social media posts are going to be triggering for you and are going to result in that kind of negative comparison as opposed to a positive upward spiral is probably the most important thing. Second, social media is a tool. So I don't think of it as inherently evil or good, but it's more in the way you use it. So if your social media use is about broadcasting an idealized form of your lifestyle, then that might not be super helpful. But if it's about connecting with other people and sharing likes and commenting on other people who are going through something similar and ultimately finding new treatment options or finding people who are going through something similar to you whom you can share your experiences with, then that can be so, so valuable. And that's what I found with Twitter. I mean, that's how I connected with you in the first place, which was understanding that there are a lot of people who are contributing to this broader body of patient-led research and structured self-experimentation and contributing so much to the field of MECFS and long COVID and POTS and realizing that that's where I wanted to channel my social media involvement into. That was a huge game changer for me. Finding that social media didn't have to be about comparison and instead it could be about community. I love it. Moving on, as somebody that's been going through this for 15 years now, what are the things that you would say both systemically and individually you'd like to see improved for MECFS management? Systemically, it still seems like people get diagnosed and they're sort of thrown off into the deep end to fend for themselves. And because there's no real cohesion around the illness, and for good reason, we are dealing with a syndrome here. We don't have clear biomarkers that determine one's diagnosis. And so it's not entirely obvious that what we're all dealing with is the same thing. I get that. At the same time, we do know that there are a lot of commonalities between patients. And so to have a little bit more clarity around what are the important first steps, the low hanging fruit, the things that people can do that are going to give the biggest improvement with the smallest amount of effort or obscure research capacity is really important because I think one of the biggest problems is that if you are a patient, you're exhausted, you're overcome with brain fog, and you don't have the capacity to advocate for yourself. And so unless you have somebody who's doing that for you, you're going to feel really lost. So I'd love to see a lot more clarity and structure around what we can do to support newly diagnosed patients. That's more on the macro level. On the individual level, I would love to see a lot of what's going on right now with Remission Biome, with Uopathize Health, come into the ethos for what it means to be a patient, which is when you have the capacity, you do these structured self-experimentation measures, you're doing, you're borrowing some of these skills and the tactics from the biohacking community, which goes off the rails plenty of times, but has brought in this idea of being your own advocate and really taking your health into your own hands and finding out that your health outcomes can be dramatically improved when you play an active role to the extent that you have the capacity to do that in your own health. And with that, adopting the mindset of you're going to be in this, the long-term time horizon may be far worse than you had imagined when you first got diagnosed. But when you start thinking of things in terms of what's the improvement that I can get gradually over the course of years, as opposed to what's some quick fix that's going to turn things around in a matter of days or months, then I think you have a much better shot at a sustainable recovery and really a lifestyle that allows you 
to flourish ultimately. I like that a lot. I think it's throughout my own journey. I always definitely look for that silver bullet that I take a pill and one day I'm I'm Same. better. But it's and yeah. I, it's it's a natural reaction. But I think the kind of metaphor that I always like to give is it's better to hit four singles than try to swing for a home run. Um, and mm -hmm. in, in this sense, there's going to be incremental progress. There's not going to be one thing that is going to completely change everything. Um, I, I do think to a certain extent that as somebody's going through this, really identifying that each individual is going to have a slightly different tailored journey is really important. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on how people can identify what those things are going to be that they should at least like start trying, like how to build out that short list of uh, things they should discuss with their doctor or things they should be trying. That's a really excellent point. And to what you said earlier, I think it's really important as a community to understand that what works for one patient doesn't invalidate someone else's symptoms. So the fact that somebody might improve with a certain type of diet or certain supplement or whatever regimen doesn't mean that somebody who doesn't improve with that stuff suddenly has something else or isn't important or doesn't have the same experience. Because I think we're going to be talking about these effects that maybe on the whole seem like neutral, but are very strongly positive for some people and strongly negative to neutral for other people. And being aware that that variance does occur is really important when we think about the community aspect of treating these conditions. To your point, second, I think one of the big challenges that patients face is that there are so many confounding variables, it's really difficult to isolate effects. So people are trying multiple supplements at a time, trying different diets, trying different lifestyle approaches at a time. And you're looking at these broad effects, but you're not really able to disentangle what the individual intervention is. That is like the story of my life, just throwing so many things at the wall, trying to see what sticks and not having a good idea of what's working. And the worst case is that I misinterpret or misattribute something when it was really something else. And I think when it comes to patients and our self-experimentation process, it's very tempting to attribute gains to something when we really don't have full information. I don't have a great answer for how we address that other than I think integrating more wearable devices, integrating specialty labs potentially and other processes are going to be helpful. But the truth is we're going to be trying a lot of things at once with the goal right now to just help patients improve more broadly. And hopefully down the road, we'll have a better idea of how to disentangle and sort of tease out these individual effects. Absolutely. It's, I, I think both of those points are great. And I know with your econ background, uh, at least for me, econometrics was probably one of my least favorite classes, but re really identifying what the, uh, like how different variables are at affecting the overall change when you're dealing with multiple things at once is is something that I think is going to be necessary and something that we're trying to build out at PathEyes. Um, I guess mm -hmm. last question as we close out, if there was one piece of advice you could give to somebody that's just starting this journey today or is a couple years into it, what, what would it be? Very broad strokes. Oh, that's such a great question. This is not going to come out as some pithy individual piece of advice. 
But I think one of the biggest struggles when it comes to a chronic illness like this is assuming that the skills that have served you in life beforehand, which is just pushing yourself, overanalyzing everything, and finding a way to problem solve your way out of any kind of challenging circumstances, might not necessarily serve you in the same ways when it comes to dealing with a complex chronic illness. And so your job when it comes to being a patient it's going to look very different than it did when you were in a traditional job or when you were in an academic setting. And to not beat yourself up because you aren't able to get the same results that you once did. I, prior to getting sick, would have assumed that in, when faced with a challenging class or a difficult concept, the solution was always to work harder, to find other people who could help me and to study more and spend more time on it. When I got to the point where I had been sick for a couple of years and realized that the analytical skills and just the sheer grinding that had previously done so well for me was no longer going to be applicable. It was really jarring, but it was also freeing in a way that I realized I didn't have to blame myself for every negative health outcome. I didn't have to assume that every crash was something that was caused by an error on my part. And it meant that I could have a little bit more fun and experimenting and seeing what happened and be open to the possibilities and approach this illness with curiosity rather than the intensity and the drive that I had previously done in my academic career. Now, that's not going to fit on a billboard or a bumper sticker. We can <laughs> so try. <I> hope it... <laughs> We're going to use really tiny font and decrease the margins as much as possible. <laughs> but I hope awesome. it gives patients a little bit of a break in terms of the self-flagellation that I think often comes with a diagnosis like this. That that's all a really great set of advice, and I, I think one that I know I personally would have greatly benefited from going through this. Well, mm -hmm. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat today. Um, with that, that is the Path Eyes Health podcast. We will see you next time.